Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences shows us more about what we actually have in common. I'm Condis Presley. As we welcome the month of March and the first signs of spring, the American Cancer Society recognizes Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month with a new report indicating that colorectal cancer is on an increase in young people at an alarming rate. And to answer some questions and inform us more is Dr. Arif Kamal. He is the chief patient officer with the American Cancer Society. This is surprising. Tell me about this new report that is out this month. Yeah, well, you know, let's put this into perspective. So over the last, you know, three decades in the United States, we've seen remarkable progress as it relates to cancer incidence and mortality, in particular, lots of good news. You know, the death rate from cancer since 1991 is down by about 33%, which is the biggest ever shift in cancer outcomes ever. And that's largely due to you know, lots of focus on screening and prevention and, you know, $4 billion of research investment from the American Cancer Society, plus billions of dollars from the federal government and other philanthropies as well. And that's made a major difference. And so what we're used to doing is talking about the good news. And I will tell you here with this report, this is our every three-year report to the country on where we are with colorectal cancer. There's mixed news. Let me, let me actually start with the good news because I think it's important to, to remind everybody where we're doing well. One is among people uh, greater than the age of 65, we're seeing that the, the prevalence or the incidence, the percentage of people who are being diagnosed with colorectal cancer per year is actually going down by maybe about 4% per year. And that's pretty remarkable. And the reason for that is that that age group of folks have bought into the idea that colorectal cancer screening is just usual way to go, right? It's nothing novel. It's just something that needs to get done. And for some people, that's a colonoscopy. For other people, that's at-home testing. And the colonoscopy or colon cancer screening rate in folks that age, 65 and older, is close to 65 to 70%. It's pretty good as it gets to cancer screening in the country. Conversely, when we look at people 55 and younger, that message hasn't soaked in just yet. And part of that is because the guidelines, you know, relatively recently changed. We came out ahead of the scientific community in 2018 and recommended that the age drop from 50 to 45 to start screening. And as we did that, we're starting to see slow but somewhat measurable uptake in that. But importantly, people under the age of 50, the chance that they've had a colonoscopy or colon cancer screening is only one in five versus sort of, you know, three in four for people who are older and thus less opportunity to catch a pre-cancerous lesion, cut it out before it turns into cancer. And I think that's really important for people to understand. When we're doing this colon cancer screening, what we're looking for is not just trouble, if you will, we're looking for pre-trouble. We're looking for the stuff, those funny looking cells that are sitting there that if you give them time, will turn into cancer. And if we cut them out, then they won't because they don't have the ability to do that. And that's really the purpose of cancer screening. And you cut those cells out at the time of the screening if the patient has gone in for that colonoscopy, correct? That's absolutely right. Colonoscopy is both about visualization, seeing it, 
and then in that moment, cutting it out at the same time. So if you see something, you get something. You get rid <laughs> of something. That's 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 absolutely right. And so you know, I know that people you know talk to me about the the kind of the burdens with the prep and taking a day off and so on and so forth. And I say, yeah, you know, sure. But at the same time, you're accomplishing two things at the same time, which is that you are detecting and you are treating pre-cancerous lesions at the same time. And because you only have to do it once every 10 years, right, in a particular lifetime, maybe, you know, two, three times is what someone will do. And when we recognize that colon cancer, right, takes years to grow, that means you have an opportunity to find it early and get it taken out. And even if it's something a little bit more complicated than that, when we find something like that through colonoscopy, even then, we're able to, for the large part, avoid things that people are worried about with cancer, like chemotherapy, radiation, losing their hair. That's not what we're talking about. When you get colonoscopies, that's about as intense as it's going to get. And importantly, think about that as opposed to these other more toxic things that people generally don't want. Walk us through, you mentioned the prep and having to take a day off and why it's important to do that prep so that when you go in for the screening, that you can see what doesn't need to be there or see that everything is all, you know, clean as a whistle, as, as my doctor said. <laughs> That's right. Well, look, you know, the colon is not normally empty. There's stuff in there. That's part of normal anatomy. And when there's stuff in there, um, you can't see everything else. It's like, you know, your, your gut's plumbing. And, you know, if you looked in your plumbing and there was a bunch of stuff in the way, then you're not going to be able to see if there's a polyp here or there. Um, and so when you have incomplete preps, the ability to see polyps go down, the ability to cut them out goes down, and the ability to even navigate your way through there, you know, goes, goes way down. And so you know, yes, the prep can be a bit inconvenient, but, you know, again, the better you do it, the more likely we are to see something and take it out. The other thing I just want to say about that, too, is that, you know, there are options that people have, and oftentimes I don't recognize that, for colon cancer screening. There are, for example, two different types of home colon cancer screening that people can do on their own. The first is a, is a card that you take home, uh, you put a little stool on it, so you have to kind of make sure you're okay with that. And the idea is it's trying to de detect minute like amounts of blood. You can't see with the naked eye, you, you know, you won't notice it, you won't even feel any different. And if the test shows that, then it means you need a follow-up colonoscopy to take a look. And that's the kind of test you do every year at home. You know, you don't have to take a day off from work, et cetera. There's also a DNA-based test. Uh, many people may know it by its brain name called Cologuard. That's every three years or so. And that's a test where you, you know, get, collect a sample of stool, you send it back to the company. And what they're looking for is mutated DNA, meaning, you know, we've, we've all got DNA in our cells, that DNA looks normal. And when it doesn't look normal, it can start to look like cancer DNA. And what they're looking for is cancer DNA. And again, if something abnormal shows up in that test, you go on and you get a colonoscopy and, you know, you, you find what it is and, and take it out. But I point this out because we found during COVID-19 that for all the, all the cancer screenings out there, they went down remarkably so, except for colon cancer screening rebounded pretty quickly because people discovered the home-based options. So even though surgery centers were closed and they couldn't get there, the number of people who got the home-based test actually went up, which is really fantastic. And I think it's important for everyone to recognize the best test is the one that gets done. 
And talking to your doctor about which avenue is best for you is, is actually the first step and, and everyone should. Who is the ideal candidate for the screening beyond just the age demarcation that you've noted? First and foremost, because we see this kind of disturbing trend of an age shift in cancer and, and colorectal cancer is not the only one. We're seeing that in, in breast cancer and a few others that it's really important people understand that if they're in their 20s or their 30s or early 40s and they're saying, well, what do, what do I do about this? That my recommendation is you have a, an honest conversation as a family. Maybe, you know, around Thanksgiving, I said, we'll get together over Thanksgiving dinner. You know, maybe it'll be over Easter, wh wherever it is. Find a reason to get together and have that conversation that says, okay, now we talked about grandma or great grandma. Now she had cancer, but I never really heard what kind. And sometimes you have to get past the like, well, it started here, it went here. You know, there's, there might be a little bit of a story there, but kind of pull through that story and figure out where did it start? Because for example, breast cancer that moves to the bones is not bone cancer. A lot of people think it's bone cancer. So they'll tell you, oh, grandma had bone cancer. Oh, very few people actually have bone, bone cancer. Um, it was probably breast cancer that moved to the bones. So, okay, what was it? Breast or bone cancer? Okay, it sounds like breast cancer. What age was it diagnosed? Because what we know is that familial cancers, cancers that run in families that are based on genetic alterations, tend to show up earlier than non-genetic ones, meaning that someone's in their 30s, 40s, early 50s. So if you said to me, well, grandma had colon cancer and it showed up at age 45, then my recommendation as a doctor, particularly if I hear about the rest of the family history, might be very different in terms of the age that we would start to do colon cancer screening. People generally understand that in the breast cancer context and say, well, mom had breast cancer at 45. That means we start mammograms at 35, period. And that means that the guidelines don't apply to you because you're not at average risk. And that's really important to recognize. Are you at average risk or no? The only way to know that is to check with your family. So then for those who are at average risk, 45 and older, again, every 10 years or every couple of years based on home-based tests is the way to go. But also, if you're under 45, in addition to understanding your family history and your risk, it's paying attention to symptoms. One of the things we saw here in the study is an increase in the number of left-sided uh, colon cancers. And so, right, the colon's a long tube. It actually starts in the middle. It wraps around to the right. It goes around to the left. And it comes out, actually, on the left side, your left, right, a person's own left side. And because there is some, some movement, meaning that overall trend of more left-sided cancers, that means that those cancers can show up with symptoms that are more apparent because to put it in another way, it's closer to the exit ramp, right? And so if something's closer to the exit ramp, it might show up sooner in terms of a symptom. That could be bleeding. It could be change in the stool color, particularly if it turns black, because black is how blood breaks down. When blood breaks down, it turns into iron. Iron is what makes things rusty, right? So it's a darker color. Um, or if there's a change in the stool itself, meaning oh, I never get constipated, now I just have a hard time for the past couple of weeks. Something like that, certainly unintentional weight loss, meaning you're not trying to lose weight because you know maybe your appetite went down, and pain, pain in the abdomen, particularly uh, you know, kind of on that left side. I would say if those things are happening, um, particularly for a few weeks at a time, to, to talk to your doctors about that, because there may be a good indication in that, in that time, and you might be 35 years old, to do a colonoscopy then to take a look because these symptoms are, are real and they're happy. And that by and large is for someone, as you said, who perhaps could be at above average risk and begins to show symptoms, even though they don't think that I would be someone who would show those symptoms. That, that's right. I, you know, I, I think that, you know, people need to be strong advocates for their own health and, you know, to, 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 to advocate when something's doesn't seem right.
you know, I find with my patients that their intuition is a lot more powerful than any CT scan or colonoscopy that I can do. Because when a patient says to me, something's not right, I don't care if the scan says we don't see anything. It means we do a different scan or look in a different way. And, and I think that patients should um, harness that intuition, trust their gut, literally and figuratively, I guess. And then, you know, go talk to their doctors about it. And particularly, you know, until there's a time at some point where we may change the guidelines, for example, to do different types of screening at earlier ages. For right now, there's not that coalescence of evidence to make that change right now, but it does, you know, raise the antenna of everyone in cancer right now to sort of ask the question, what's going on with younger ages of cancer? And, you know, let's make sure we emphasize knowing a family history and risk, and let's, you know, make sure we've got the right studies to even to look at the question of, do we do colonoscopy earlier, as an example. Is this more prevalent in men or women or about the same? So slightly more in men. So there's about 33% more colorectal cancers in men. And that's important to recognize, as I was saying to some colleagues, is that, you know, if you're a 45-year-old man, and I'm, I'm close to that, and so I will talk about myself here for a second before I make too much of a generalization, is that I don't know a lot of 45-year-old men, including my friends and colleagues, who regularly see a doctor for an annual physical. I think in gender differences, um, women are more likely to seek regular health care, uh, particularly because they may be, you know, doing uh, GYN checkups and other things too. So, you know, this predilection towards men and men's sort of maybe, I'm going to say, not seeking regular health care, particularly if they feel well, right, particularly if they feel well until they're 50 or above means that, you know, there's a need to emphasize from a public health messaging perspective, right? Like in a real public health way, um, hey, go talk to your doctor about this because there may be nothing else that you need to talk about per se, but this thing you should bring up because it's, it's real and, and we're trying to catch it before it becomes problematic. More men than women, go see a doctor, make sure that you have a doctor. What about race and ethnicity? Are we seeing this, that there are the research showing greater distinctions with respect to incidents of colorectal cancer among people of different races or ethnicities? We are. So if you um, look particularly at Alaska Natives and American Indians, that the number is, is pretty strikingly high, actually, in terms of incidents. So um, the incidence, uh, you know, is almost double uh, for some of those populations, particularly Alaska Native and American Indian um, uh, men. Um, and so, you know, but we're also seeing slightly higher incidences in uh, non-Hispanic Blacks and uh, potentially in Hispanics as well. And so, you know, those rates are important because they are both demonstrating potentially some differences in biology, but also some really important, you know, barriers to care that are related to geography, to um, uh, insurance access, and even to access to, um, you know, folks who do colonoscopies. Because we know, for example, that, you know, the number of gastroenterologists and general surgeons who do them are, there can be pockets where they're missing or low, particularly in some urban areas and rural areas. And I think that's important, particularly to recognize. The other thing I'll just bring up is that the, you know, the guidelines for Alaska Natives and American Indians is actually to start colon cancer screening at age 40. So it's different because of such the high rate. And really, um, for that population, we prefer doing colonoscopy um, because we, we just want to sort of get straight to the best test um, as we can. And so it's important to remember. And, and this really gets back down to you know, what's my individual risk? Um, is there something in my family? 
And let me point out too, that familial history goes beyond the history of colorectal cancer. So there are genetic mutations and family syndromes, things that run in the family, where, you know, grandma might have had uterine cancer, an aunt had stomach cancer, an uncle had, um, you know, pancreas cancer. And so for the person, their risk of colorectal cancer may be higher, even though you don't hear colorectal cancer in the rest of the family. And so I would encourage everyone to not think about, well, do I have colorectal cancer in my family or not? And if the answer is no, well, then I'm fine. Maybe I can even skip my colonoscopy and not worry about it. No, 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 no. Actually, the conversation is what cancer of any kind do you have? And at what age did it happen? Review all of that with your doctor, because in fact, it may signal other types of screening tests you need to be doing that, that are very different than the cancer you might hear when talking. If someone should get that diagnosis that there is a colorectal cancer, uh, talk to us about treatment and survival rates and recovery as we know it today. Yeah, so, you know, we stage cancer, right? People sort of know the concept of staging. Stage one means it's, you know, confined to the inside of the colon, you know, it's a polyp. Stage two means it's there, but it's starting to move and kind of uh, move around a little bit, but within the colon. And then stage three and stage four is kind of the higher the stage, the more it is moved from where it started. That's what stage means. And the farther it moves from where it started, the harder it is to track. Meaning if I said to you, you know, I was uh, starting in Buckhead and I was going to drive for five minutes, you could generally guess where I would be, particularly if it was five o'clock in the evening. You might generally guess where I could be. If I told you, though, I was going to drive for five hours and said, guess where I ended up? it's going to be much, much harder to know. So stage one is you gave me five minutes to travel and stage four is, right, you gave me five hours to travel. And so if you said to me, well, Reef, I'm going to, I'm going to guess where you are in five hours and I'm going to you know, go find you. Well, it's going to be a lot harder to find me, right? Because the circle is much bigger. And that means for advanced stages like that, we have to use treatment that gets throughout the entire body because we don't know where the cells went and we know they've had a head start on us because we know they're outside the colon. So if they've gotten farther away, that means things like chemotherapy, immunotherapy, radiation sometimes is going to be the way to go. Generally speaking, we don't do surgery then because surgery is what you do for things that are local, right? You're trying to get it out that's local to where it started. Well, that's where the toxicities come into, right? So that's where finding things at earlier stages is really the whole point of what we're trying to do. Now, as it relates to treatment, right, we still largely use chemotherapy and we do some advanced testing now on colon cancers to see if targeted therapies with immunotherapy or targeted um, medicines like oral medicines might potentially be helpful. There's a lot of new data now coming out about different combinations of things than we've had before and new markers of growth that we've seen in breast cancer, for example, and esophageal cancer, we're seeing those markers now in colorectal cancer. So a lot of exciting things. The other thing is now that the average survival now for many patients is now measured in year. So for example, I have patients who've lived four, five, six years, even with very advanced colorectal cancer. And for some people, they can take treatment holidays, meaning treatment breaks and, and be off chemotherapy for a period of time and sort of live with it, uh, but, um, and, and, uh, but potentially not die of it, not, not for a period of time anyway. So a lot of progress there, but the greatest move forward and incidence and survival has been related to finding the precancerous lesions, getting them out, and then moving on with their lives in a normal way. As with any type of cancer, early diagnosis is critical. Screening is key. Yeah, ab absolutely. You know, I think that sometimes I talk to patients and they say, but I feel fine. Why would I get screened? And I say, well, 
that's kind of the point because if a polyp right is you know five millimeters half a centimeter right so it's like you know the size of your fingernail right it's going to cause trouble in your colon first of all you're never going to feel it or know it or have any sense that it's there the only way to know is to put a camera and look around for example right or to, to detect it from home based but you know at that point then there's no way to know it or feel it but when you do feel it that means it's now affecting what your liver your lungs your bones it's sort of all over the place and so when you feel it right it's much much later and so i think the whole point of cancer screening is you should feel fine when you get the test done that's actually the point is you should be feeling perfectly okay because if you don't feel okay we would do different tests frankly to kind of take a look around and so I think more people understand that. The other thing I would just want to highlight too, in addition to screening, is really lifestyle change. Um, we're, we're starting to better understand the risks of obesity, sedentary lifestyles, smoking, excessive alcohol intake that are associated now with several different cancers, including colorectal cancer, but also breast cancer. And so, you know, as we get more people to get their colonoscopies and colon cancer screenings done, it's important to remember though that that will always be helpful but not at the expense of people not living healthy lifestyles. And I think that in the same way that our eyes opened up, you know, two decades ago to the link between smoking and lung cancer as an example, that right now we just, we need to kind of be a little bit more clear vision too, to sort of say, look, you know, weight loss and exercise, not just about feeling fit or looking good or, you know, whatever the reason, my heart, right? People think about, oh, my heart's healthy now. But to actually say, nope, you know what? I'm working out to reduce my risk of cancer, right? I'm stopping, stopping smoking or drinking a little bit less or you know, trying to get my weight back down through healthy eating because I wanna reduce my risk of cancer. And I think when we get more people making that statement out loud, uh, the better we'll do. This year, according to the American Cancer Society, 153,020 people will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer 52,550 will lose their lives to the disease. And let me ask you one last question. Do you all recommend those at-home screenings in between this, the colonoscopy just to keep a check on things? Um, we don't. And the okay. reason being is that we believe colon cancer grows relatively slowly. I think when people ask me like, wait, how did this happen? Well, it wasn't over days, it wasn't over weeks, it was probably over years, meaning that the natural history of something going from normal tissue to abnormal polyp to cancer is measured on the calendar in years. And so that means that we time those tests uh, based on how good they are with mm -hmm. how often we do them. So colonoscopy may be the gold standard, so we do it every 10 years, but some of the other tests we might do every three years or one years because they may not be as good if you do them once, but if you do them multiple times over that 10 year period, we find that they are just as good. At that point, it's just really about, do I wanna do something every one year, three years, 10 years, something's a little bit more intense, taking a day off from work, the other one's not. I really think that personal choice is important here conversation with the doctor is important here but as i said from before the best test is the one that gets done i'm i'm not interested in what test someone's doing i just want to make sure they get it done uh, on the right time. dr kamal anything else you want to add something i might not have thought to ask no i think you know i think it's important for everyone to walk away with you know this we're doing really well in incidence and mortality for people that are getting colonoscopies and colon cancer screening done and we're not doing so well when we're not seeing those get done and so there's a very clear relationship here between do something that prevents a cancer and we prevent cancer and something that's well understood paid for by the affordable care act most people don't face major challenges in terms of payment in terms of accessing colon cancer screening 
and you know there's facilities and the tests at home you know i think we've solved a lot of problems there's a few more barriers there too but i find one of the biggest barriers is really knowledge and awareness and just sort of you know we all live busy lives, right? And so the idea of taking a day off from work can be really tough. Um, and for those people, I say, well, look, then do a home test. They're like, well, but I don't want to do this every year. It's like, well, great, then do a colonoscopy, take one day off from work in a 10 year period of time. You know, just provide some intentionality behind it in the same way people provide intentionality for lots of other things they do in life. Uh, you know, think about it once, get it done, put it behind you, you know, get over it, you know, and then don't worry about it again for 10 years or however long and, and have peace of mind. Because I think ultimately that's what, what we all want is a bit of peace of mind. Absolutely. Peace of mind. What a great way to wrap. Dr. Arif Kamal, the Chief Patient Officer with the American Cancer Society. I appreciate your time. Thank you so very much. I appreciate being with you. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condas Presley on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condas? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives.